Welcome, everyone, to Gettysburg Scene by Scene. I am Chris Conforti, your host. And I'm Gerald Murr. And today we're talking scene three. Right. So uh, going into the very first scene with some actors, uh, we get some great shots of what I assume is probably the uh, Maryland or southern uh, side of Pennsylvania. Great rivers, uh, great forest and mountain ranges. But of course, we do have our very first or one of the very first mistakes of this film. I believe it gives the date as, was it June 29th? I think it gives 1863. And that's actually a change from the book. I think the book starts on June 30th, which is even two days removed from the events that we're actually talking about in this first scene. Should be June 28th. I, I believe that. The, I think that the movie actually does say June 30th. Does the movie say June 30th? I thought it said the 29th. It uh, doesn't quite matter whether it's the 29th or the 30th. Um, it should be June 28th, as that is the date that is most commonly given in the reports by both Longstreet and Lee that Harrison does visit them. But before he visits them, he does need to actually have information. And that is what the scene is all about. He's riding along the ridges uh, with his great little uh, telescope there, and he sees two brigades of federal cavalry, of course, this may be a testament to how much I have memorized these lines, but even his delivery of that federal cavalry, Pats his horse, two brigades, is something that even I'll quote. I mean, something as mundane a line as that is quotable in this movie. He rides around a little bit more and then he sees Union Infantry. And of course, he is the one that surmises that Hooker and now Meade have taken the Army of the Potomac above Potomac River. But Lee, of course, Longstreet, and the rest of the uh, Army of Northern Virginia have no idea of this because, as Harrison will say, Stewart is riding up north somewhere, getting his name in the paper. And from there, uh, Harrison realizes that he has to tell Longstreet, goes to find him, which should be around the Chambersburg area, but he is quickly stalled by some Confederate pickets. And that's kind of where the the scene ends up leaving off. Now, I know we're we're talking a little bit about the date that they give you. Um, is June 30th here. It almost seems like there's two conflicting things going at each other. There is the fact that what he, what I'm guessing this is supposed to be is it's supposed to be, I'm guessing, a, ta- a fictional take on what happened with Johnston Pettigrew, where, you know, he reportedly had seen the federal cavalry come into town. So I, I think that there's, there's two competing things going on. I think he's supposed to be seeing that. And also, of course, you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit that both Longstreet and Lee both put on their reports that Harrison sees them on the 28th. I believe on just quoting Longstreet's report, he said on the night of the 28th, one of my scouts came in with information. The enemy has passed the Potomac and was probably in pursuit of us. Backing that up, Robert E. Lee in his official report said the advance against Harrisburg was arrested by intelligence received from a scout on the night of the 28th. To the effect that Army of General Hooker had crossed the Potomac and was approaching the South Mount. I think that's generally agreed on that it's 28th. I know that there there was at least some type of discrepancy on that, but it's generally believed that it is on the 28th. I believe it was one of Lee's staffers. That's yeah, everybody. you know, I think Coddington talks about that in his uh, book, The Gettysburg Campaign. He attributes that discrepancy to a clerical error. Yeah, it was like uh, a clerical or, or I believe he said it might have, he was doing it from memory. Yeah, he was. So, you know, it's it's very easy that he could have just gotten the date wrong by one day. Uh, but in any case, I did check it. Uh, the movie does actually say June 30th. I think it's the book that begins on the 29th. On the 29th. So, yeah, I feel like there's, there's like two competing things going on. And of course, 
what they're doing is they're trying to save some time here. So they're condensing things. Uh, would that have worked maybe a little bit better with Pettigrew? Probably not. I mean, I, I understand the way reason why they did it. They kind of have Harrison like looking like finding them into town, even though historically we know that was Johnston Pettigrew. We know Johnston Pettigrew reported that to his superiors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they kind of brushed it off and thought that he was kind of looking at town militia. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know for um, from my perspective, um, I can kind of see why they're moving it up to June 30th. You know, it's just the day before the battle and we kind of just, you know, getting the pace of things going. So we can kind of have a better transition of just, you know, we're only looking at four days here. We have the 30th and then we have the three days of battle. So I can understand it from that perspective. But of course, even if you did want to give Pettigrew the um, credit for it, the, the story of the spy is just so much more dramatic. Yeah, exactly. And I and the way that, you know, Michael Shara adapts this and, you know, writes this it is way more dramatic coming from Harrison. And Harrison, of course, plays more of a part in this as we go further in the movie, even if it is mm-hmm. little parts. Yeah, I remember if my memory serves me correctly, um, after Harrison spies the federal columns, uh, he's got to make his way to uh, Longstreet's headquarters in the thunderstorm. Yep. Uh, which is, you know, great imagery there. I mean, listen, I understand probably why they couldn't have done that for the movie, but, you know, I mean, I, I can't fault them too much for getting the weather inaccurate and <laughs> something like that. From a movie perspective, it's, you know, they took a lot of historical liberties by kind of mixing the days, but they're also trying to give you that, that quick background as much as you possibly can while leading you into it. And of course, you know, as Harrison's going through, he does encounter a picket line. And I mean, we definitely have to talk about the first what? <laughs> oh, my. With, uh, Santa Claus? <laughs> yeah. You know, Christmas in July. And I mean, we'll talk about how, um, how do I want to say it, how heavy he is for a starving Confederate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly he's doing well in the foraging mission. Yeah, he's he's definitely doing well getting some of those Pennsylvania supplies. Yeah, blackjacks and small mountains. The actor itself, I actually think, does a really good job in his delivery. Um, when he's like, "Well, you're not in a uniform, and you're coming through my picket line. Mm-hmm. I'll take you back there, but if nobody back there knows you, well, I guess unfortunately you'll have to be hanged." Yeah, I, I mean both that too. <laughs> yeah, he he. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, very very quotable. But I mean, the fact for me is, too, is if you pause that scene where it's kind of a close up on him and you can see some of the other extras in that scene that do not have any lines, they look quite authentic. Why they didn't get one of them to deliver those lines is I guess this guy knew someone or I don't know, but they could have gotten a lot more of an authentic rebel picket for that. Oh, I I definitely agree with that. It kind of takes you out of the scene a little bit. Because they're going to be obviously making the case that, you know, they're, they're not well fed. And well, they are, well, the, seems like the commanders are well fed, but of course yeah. they're going to want to, they're all shoeless and, and everything else. So we'll, we'll discuss that, I'm sure, next scene, because I have a lot of notes when it comes to the camp scenes that they have. Oh, yeah. But they're obviously, they're supposed to be setting that kind of like background, but for whatever reason, they decided to go that route. And, this is actually the first thing in the movie that kind of takes me out of it. Yeah, you know, I, I, could, I could easily look past the, um, the errors with the date. I mean, when you, when you look at this movie, you have to understand that this, is, this should not be, and it's not meant to be, 
the end all be all of all Gettysburg knowledge. You know, what this is meant to do is get you interested in the battle. That's how I see it. So if they have to move the dates a little bit to give a little bit more sense of immediacy, of urgency, then, you know, I'm all for it. I don't need Ron Maxwell to tell me that Harrison met with Lee on the uh, 28th of June. I have Coddington and every other author to tell me that, you know? Yeah. And, and I probably wouldn't have read those books if I didn't get so interested in the movie to begin with. You know? I could probably quote this movie word for word just because of how many times I've, I've seen it. And again, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, whatever feeling you may have about the movie, I'm sure that there are other people that are just like us that probably this was their gateway into a more elaborate and more historical type of knowledge into the battle. Absolutely, yeah. It's a gateway drug. But I mean, this this thing, like I said, I, I think it actually does really well. Now, the I'm guessing that Harrison's seeing a few different, um, I'm, I'm assuming what he's seeing is the first corps, because some of them have hardy hats, but then it looks like he's also looking and they have a Pennsylvania flag, which is, which is kind of weird. So it doesn't show him, I don't believe, riding any further. And of course, if they're having party hats, they're they're likely parts of the Iron Brigade, which none yeah. of them are from Pennsylvania. But again, it's probably something that they're throwing in there to just just kind of lay on the foundation of everything. And also, I guess when I was when I look at that scene, I kind of up the stakes a little bit because now I'm like, okay, now we got Pennsylvania guys in Pennsylvania lands. Yeah, so that was another thing that, that I. I kind of noticed this scene is very effective up until the picket line, which I'm happy that they put in there because a lot of movies wouldn't even put something like that in there. But even though the actor is really good and I actually really enjoyed his 22nd performance, it yeah. does kind of take me out and I can see that that probably would be an issue that people probably would complain about historically and by some historians. Well, and I think... And I think it does a good job of getting you into the psychology of the Confederate Army. They are an invading force. They have to be on their toes. They need to be on the lookout for people who would be giving them misinformation and leading them to grief. So, you know, I think that the pickets do an actual, you know, very good job in performing their duties. Yeah, I, I would actually agree with that. Like I said, I'm happy that they put that scene in. Uh, a a lot of other movies wouldn't even bother putting something like that in. And I you know you're right from the psychology standpoint. And as an actor, you know, you look for like your motivation, right? Well, what's your motivation? Well, you're invading force, as you said, right? So you mm -hmm. have to be cognizant of everybody trying to come into camp. And, you know, he's saying that he knows General Longstreet, but how the heck do you know that he is not spy? Now, you could also, you know, ask yourself a question, would he be directly taken to Longstreet? Yeah. Who I mean, knows that? I mean, it's not like they, at least we don't know that they search them. No. Uh, I mean, at the, at the very least, there is at least some distance. They don't take him. I mean, they do take him to his tent, but it's his uh, aide, uh, Sorrel, who actually delivers that information to Longstreet, and then he comes out. To Longstreet, yeah. But, I mean, the one thing I'll say about it, too, is it does also tell you the dangers inherent in being a spy in a Civil War army. You know, uh, you are at the mercy of some who may not take kindly to you prowling around. And, you know, in many cases, there are those who are hanged for that offense. Oh, yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, of course, spying's been around for, you know, how many years? How many spies do we know? For, for, as, for as long as armies have been around, they're, they've been employing spies, I'm sure. Yeah, how many spies do we know of that have, you know, been hung? I mean, 
famous one, of course, that comes to my mind is Nathaniel Hale in the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Um, of course, there's a lot of misinformation with him, too. But, you know, a lot of myths. But, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, spying is, has been, and always will be a dangerous game. And they kind of do set that up. And, you know, fortunately for Harrison, they actually kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to the scene? The only thing I'll say is that it's a great way to transition just a lone guy on horseback uh, looking for the Federal Army to actually getting face-to-face with one of the stars of this movie, Tom Berenger as Longstreet. No, ab- absolutely. Yeah. One thing that, that I guess I'll, I'll add to it is um, the cinematography in it, I think is actually really beautiful in it when it's showing like all the kind of like the establishing shots that show like the river, a lot of the countryside, you know, mm-hmm. whoever the cinematographer is, <laughs> I apologize, I don't have to top of my head um but he actually did a, a pretty bang up job in showing a lot of that stuff and you know, hats off to him because it kind of sets the scene of kind of like a peaceful tranquil countryside in what we know is a brutal two years of war the third summer of the war as it says in the beginning so you know what like we know a lot of these other places aren't faring as well and through his brilliant cinematography i absolutely love it. it it shows like that nice tranquil countryside and then up here we go now now we're starting to see the horses come in we're starting mm-hmm. to see armies kind of coming in to it as well so that's the only thing i would add is i i, I think that the cinematographer just did a great job of you know putting that together and then the editor of course for you know kind of linking it all together yeah and I, I'll, I'll just add one more thing. The actor who plays Harrison is in, is in some ways his role is almost like a comic relief. In a way, he has a lot of exaggerated uh, deliveries, but I really do enjoy how annoyed he is in this scene with getting picked up by the pickets. Like, you know, he's just trying to do his job, but so are they, and he's got to go through all this red tape. He just looks like so fed up with the pickets at this point. And I, I find that really enjoyable for uh, his delivery. Yes, props definitely for Cooper Huckabee. Yeah performance because absolutely you pick up all of that there's there's one facial feature that he has or one look that kind of brings everything that you have which is where he goes you know you take me you fellas take me back there this is urgent and then he says that and he's like well you know unfortunately you'll have to be hanged and then there's like that 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 look of just oh yeah he's like all right buddy he's like all right just take me back there so yeah i mean cooper huckabee I think is absolutely, you know, wonderful. Unfortunately, I don't think he's coming to the Gettysburg 30th anniversary thing. I was hoping that he was going to be there, but I don't think he's going to be there. Yeah. I mean, do you know off the top of your head anything else that he has been in? I know he actually had a role in the extended edition of Gods and Generals playing the same character, but yeah, you know, I'd be interested to know what else he has done with his career. For Huckabee's actually had a pretty, pretty decent career. He's in Django Unchained. Looks like he's in an episode of Dexter, he's actually in The Shield as well. That was a, a heck of a TV show. Uh, it looks like he's had, he's had a decent career. I mean, he's he's was in an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, an episode of True Detective and I think season two. Okay, yeah, I, re- I remember that. So he's, he's, had a really, he's had a really good career. Yeah, not too bad. And as we were talking like the, the Gods and Generals one, I was actually kind of curious... I'm I'm almost kind of bummed out a little bit that Last Full Measure didn't get created because I, I feel like they were on their way to 
creating actually a, like a kind of like a big Harrison storyline, ironically, because, you know, in the past, you know, of course, they show um, in Gods and Generals that he's kind of an actor, even though, again, I guess that's open to some controversy. There's conflicting reports on that and if he actually was an actor or not. But I kind of want to know if, if they would have like furthered that relationship in, in last full measure by putting in scenes or maybe Harrison's there or something when Lincoln gets assassinated. It just seemed like a pretty random thing to kind of throw in there if you weren't going to do something after that. I mean, you know, going back, uh, I think I was taken out of school in like second grade to see Gods and Generals. So, you know, and at the end of that movie and the theatrical version says, you know, this is part one of a three part trilogy, which is a little bit of redundant because all trilogies are three parts. But um, and, you know, the, and they even said that the last one's going to be, you know, the last full measure. And I was like, that's going to be great. When's that coming out? And of course, Gods and Generals did not do well. For a variety of reasons, not least of which is probably the length of it. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, it's not meant to be. Uh, but it certainly is interesting to speculate as to, you know, what they would have done, especially because something like that would probably be a lot more pro-union, let's say, than Gods and Generals would, which is probably another reason why that movie didn't do as well. Yeah, they, that that movie, I think, more than any other movie especially more than this movie i think reeks a lot more of the lost cause like See that, that i mean that movie um and i've read uh gods and generals that movie doesn't really have a lot in common with there's one book that that movie has a lot in common and that's uh james i robertson's uh stonewall jackson the man the uh soldier the legend or something along those lines uh, you know, that movie should probably just have been a biography of Jackson, in which case it would have been a lot better. And um, as they tried to shoe in Chamberlain and shoe in all these other things, it, it, it did just um, become too long and it did reek of a lot of lost cut stuff as well. But if they were going to do a book on Jackson, certainly, I mean, they had a good historical advisor. The guy who wrote the book on him actually was involved with it. Yeah, but but I mean, and and this is especially true of the um, the extended edition. As 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 bad as the theatrical version was with the Lost Cause, it is amplified in the extended edition of that. When you get what seems to be almost a justification of John Wilkes Booth's motives in several scenes, and then there's a, a couple scenes that tend to suggest that the um, slaves that were in line with the um, Confederate Army were more or less happy with their lot. And there's, you know, a couple instances of, I think there's this one scene where a uh, Confederate soldier, I think an officer dies and he gives his uh, slave his freedom papers. Um, of course, something like that might've happened. It wasn't uncommon for slaves to get their freedom papers at some points, but you know, you put that in a movie, all of a sudden that kind of makes it look like the rule and definitely does its damnedest to make people think that that war had nothing to do with slavery, which is my main gripe with the film. No, yeah, I, th I think that's a lot of people's main gripes with it. I actually, I hate to say it, I kind of prefer the extended version of it, only because I think that they give you a lot more of Antietam in it. They do. Yeah, I mean, well, there's no Antietam at all. No, the, uh, yeah. a lot of uh, yeah. the theatrical version, they just concentrate on, they have Manassas and it kind of skips to Fredericksburg. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> that, that's a whole year and a half, really. Yeah, I mean... But that's 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 a different podcast. I'm I'm, I'm sure if, if if 
people listen to this and they liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, that might hey, listen, listen. I, I I I watched that movie um, a lot, not as much as I do. Um, is Gettysburg? With Gettysburg, I'll watch all the way through. Guys in general, they just pick a few scenes, and they're mainly those with Stephen Lang as Jackson. Does another masterful job. That movie should have just been a Jackson bio, my opinion. I absolutely 100% agree. So Stephen Lang plays, of course, Pickett in this mm-hmm. film, and we'll do a little breakdown of that. Um, of course, as the episodes go on further, he, as we said, plays Stonewall Jackson in Gods and Generals. Who do you think, obviously, this is hypothetical, it's never going to happen, everybody's kind of aged out of the rules, unfortunately. Who do you think he would have played in Last Full Measure? Because I kind of see him maybe switching colors and going with maybe a William Tecumseh Sherman. Ooh, I could definitely see him as Sherman. Uh, although, you know who... Nailed it. You know who would have made a good Sherman just on looks alone is Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston would have been a really good Sherman. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that like when they were coming out. So, of course, like when, when Gods and Generals came out, I remember actually... On the internet, I remember a lot of people were like really frustrated by Stephen Lang being cast as Jackson because he was Pickett. At one point, I heard Mel Gibson was supposed to be Stonewall Jackson. I don't know if that's like a if that was just something that was thrown around on fan forums or. I think he. I think he would have been convincing with his religious fanaticism, but of course, as we know, uh, Jackson was Presbyterian, not Catholic, so. A, a very, very, very strict Calvinist, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A way of looking at, at the Bible. But I remember, like, people were actually really upset with Stephen Lang being chosen. Because they're like, oh, he's Pickett. That's going to take you right out of it. But I never looked at him in that role and kind of went, oh, yeah, well, he's he's like Pickett and, and Gettysburg. He, he kind of creates his own, you know, his own character. And he very well disappears from it. With, with the wrong actor, it could have easily have been the case that you just see him as Pickett or the other, but he is phenomenal. And you have to give the actor credit. He took two separate roles, made them his own. And in my mind, it's easy to compartmentalize each role. Yeah. Credit I, to him, man. He, he's, he's a, a wonderful actor. You know, I, I wish I see him in more films. I do too. And you know what? I think that you're going to start seeing him in a lot more because I mean, he's been fantastic now in two avatars Mm-hmm. He had the, the two don't breeds that he was like phenomenal in. Of course, you go back to his earlier performances. Tombstone, wonderful in that. Yeah. And, you know, it's my understanding that he still keeps a very close connection with Gettysburg as a place. He, he, I think he does narration for a few things and a few documentaries. So he absolutely does. One of my friends, Ron, actually travels with him over the place. And, you know, thanks to Ron, Ron, if you're listening to this. Thank you so much for everything that you've done. And I, we're going to go into that. I'm sure when we have some special guests, I know um, EJ wants to come on and talk a little bit about Stephen Lang and, you know, the experiences that we have with Stephen Lang. It's safe to say we're, we're, we're both, and including you. So all three of us are really big Stephen Lang fans. But if, if you're listening to this, I, I definitely know that he's going to be there in October for the 30th anniversary. I know that He's going to be there for the anniversary of it. I think by the time that this post, though, it'll be past that anyway. But he's he's always uh, he always makes a point to to come to Gettysburg, where you know, like you, you don't really see like Martin Sheen coming. You don't really see Jeff Daniels coming. I thought for sure that you know when it was like the hundred and fiftieth battle anniversary of the battle, I thought all of these big time you know actors would be coming back. 
Uh, and a lot of them, they might come back. They might just not make their presence known. Like I know Tom Berenger said that he's there, but he just doesn't make his presence known. But if you do want to meet him, he will be, again, I'm plugging it again, the 30th anniversary of Gettysburg, the movie, in October. He actually will be there for that. That's awesome. But uh, that's all I have for, for this scene. I'm Chris Conforti. I'm Jerry Murray. And you've been listening to Gettysburg Scene by Scene. And this is scene three. What do you know about Jeb Stewart? No, he's out there and all that. He's riding up north somewhere getting his name in the papers. He and Carl's anything but a little fuss.